Hello, and welcome to Technically Minded, a podcast brought to you by Credera, where we discuss hot topics in business and tech with our colleagues in an effort to share our collective insights with you. I'm Emily Crawford, and I'm your host for today's episode. I'm part of the management consulting group at Credera, and I focus primarily on program leadership, but today we will discuss data governance. So I've got some help from our talented technologists to tackle this topic. Specifically, we'll talk through why data governance is one of the most important things your organization needs to get right. I'm joined today by three others, Vincent, Felix, and Adrian. Would each of you please give a brief hello and maybe a statement or two about what you do? Absolutely. Thanks for having us today. I'm Vincent Yates. I am the chief data scientist and a partner here at Credera, and I happen to run the data and analytics practice as well. Hey, y'all. Happy to be here with you today. This is Adrian Arndt. Uh, I'm a senior consultant in Credera's data and analytics practice. Hello, everyone. My name is Felix Gallardo, and I'm a senior manager from our Houston office, also within our data and analytics practice. Thank y'all so much for being here. So, one of the reasons you're here is because this team recently published a white paper on the topic of data governance. To many, that might sound like a boring topic. So, <laughs> so why should I care about data governance and why is this relevant to me? Boring topic? <laughs> Come on, Emily. I, in fairness, I think I've heard that my entire career, whether it be math or physics or statistics, I think they're all boring topics to most. But in reality, actually, I think data governance is truly one of the most important things that every organization needs to be paying attention to that isn't today. And what I mean by that, fundamentally, anytime you use data, you care about the quality of that data. Mm. You care about whether it's accurate. You care about whether it's actually telling you what you believe it to be telling you or it's supposed to be telling you. And at the core of that, the core question is, how do I know that this data, these data are actually good. They're trustworthy and reliable. Because I've seen organizations, I've seen leaders in organizations immediately revert back to a hip, hippo's a person, well, excuse me, hippo, that is the highest paid person's opinion, mm. as opposed to being data driven. And I think the fastest way to erode that, to erode the trust of data, is to start showing data that isn't actually trustworthy. And it only takes one or two times to really erode all of the trust that you've built up over many, many, many cycles of really high quality data. So how do you do that? The core of that is truly data governance, or our approach to it, modern data governance. That's great. Thanks for sharing. Anything either of you would add? Yeah, just to add on to what Vincent said, I think, um, you know, if, if data governance sounds like a boring topic to some folks, you know, I'd, I'd kind of challenge them to think through, you know, how recently did they get a question from someone on their ops or finance or hiring team about a report they recently pulled up? You know, how, how much do they really trust the reports that their organization are putting out? You know, how, how much are they currently spending on trying to address those questions, some of that shadow accounting that's happening? You know, I think you take something that on the surface sounds really boring and you kind of quickly internalize it and think about your own experience and it, it suddenly is extremely relevant. I, I totally agree with, with this. And, and I would probably say that a lot of people don't think of it as something cool or fun because it just hasn't worked for them. <laughs> they don't see it as a value add and all of a sudden it's just like, we're doing this thing that just doesn't work. It's just boring. It doesn't provide any value. And so shifting that and kind of introducing this new modernized way of data governance really starts to change people's mindsets around the importance of governance and why it isn't as boring as it used to be back in the day. That's a great point. And, and thanks for bringing that up. So I want to talk a little bit more about that. What, what isn't working about data governance today? 
and what elements of, of what organizations are doing might need to stay the same and what needs to shift to that modern way of tackling it, like you mentioned. Yeah, I, I think um, my, my thoughts on that is what hasn't really worked there is a couple of things. One, traditionally data governance has been huge. It's boiling the ocean. There's never clear scope around what it is that we want to govern. Two, it's incredibly manual. You think about all the the person hours that is involved in stewardship, ownership, process, you know, the list goes on. You're effectively adding more work to an already tired workforce. And so it doesn't adopt very well. Over time, what happens is it just kind of dies away and your data then starts becoming polluted again. And you think about the explosion of data. You think of data models in the in the traditional way. Data models and data science, of all the reports, all the mobile devices, data is exploding. And and so with that, um, you, you really can't lose sight and, and just have the old traditional uh, data governance model applied to everything in, in today's world. And by the way, I will add that old school data governance was designed for the old school ERP mm. data warehouses of the world. That's, that's not really where we are anymore. Yeah, to kind of build off of Felix's last point there, I think, um, you know, if you think back to, you know, your own organization and, you know, how, how much your data has evolved or how much more of it there is, you know, compared to, you know, even five or 10 years ago, you know, why would you apply the same principles of data quality and governance that you were applying back then when you're maybe a completely different organization today? I mean, just the the idea that you'd, that you'd, you know, apply something from the past now just really doesn't make sense anymore. And I think that's really kind of the impetus for why, you know, we're trying to think about this in a new way. I think that's a great point too, just to add on to that. If you really contemplate the idea that organizations want to be different, they want to transform and they, and they recognize that data is the new oil, right? It's the most valuable asset that they have. They're becoming more and more interested in that. The, the mechanisms in which they collect the data are fundamentally different. They're far more varied and far more vast and far more real time than they've ever had before. And so to the point that both Felix and Adrian said here, like it's not surprising that the solution we designed for a radically different world, a world where you had limited data, limited frequency, and not a lot of decisions being driven off that data, fun, frankly, to a world today where data is everywhere, we're drowning in it, the rate at which it's growing is exponential, the challenge then becomes, how do you deal with that? Does your organization, your data governance approach have to grow in the same rate that your data is growing? I think most people would say, no, that's not gonna work. Those, that paradigm has to shift, and I think that's really the, the fundamental first step in our modern data governance approach. In that approach to data governance, I know I've heard uh, a few of you all talk about letting data govern the organization. What does that mean and how can organizations do that? Yeah, it's a really good question. So if you consider again, back to what Felix said a minute ago, which is that historically data governance, data quality monitoring of this has been very human centric. Effectively, we've created these roles in organizations such that a person is supposed to go look at the data, monitor the data, ensure the quality of the data. That is a very difficult proposition for any one individual. If you think about their responsibility of, of monitoring data and, and looking at it, the question becomes, how do they prioritize that relative to their quote unquote day job? 
how do you ensure that that person's priorities aren't shifting and they have the time and capability to monitor all of the data they're supposed to be responsible for? And in fact, as you increase the number of data sources that you have, as you increase the volume of data you have, as you increase the number of people who are using that data, that role becomes more and more time consuming and they just don't have time to do it. So instead, what you have to think about is what else could we do? And what we've recognized is actually machine learning has come so far along these days that you can start letting the models actually tell you this data are good, these data are not good, and start giving you really insightful perspective into where you need to spend your time, focus your energy, and as a result, take this problem that was previously monotonically increasing and turn it into something that's actually tractable and sustainable long-term. Just to build off of uh, Vincent's comments there, I, th I think it, it goes back to, you know, humans, we, we've got certain strengths and weaknesses. Computers have certain strengths and weaknesses. And, you know, humans are our weakness or, you know, our, our strength is really not um, looking at, you know, dozens of dashboards and trying to find the one or two big insights to try to determine, is this an anomaly? Is this not an anomaly? Whereas computers can very easily comb through all of that data very quickly. They can, you know, based on what you've kind of programmed and the models you've set up, they can very easily both identify, hey, this is an anomaly, this is a big deal, but also prioritize amongst the anomalies that are found, hey, this is the most crucial, this is the one you need to start with, this is the one that's gonna impact all of the others. Um, to really kind of do that, that triage that's needed so that you're addressing them in a really kind of meaningful and, and smart way. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think that's really, that's what I was going to say. The boring part of data governance is that you hire a marketing analyst, a financial analyst to do the things that they're great at. And then on top of that, you put, hey, you also need to become a data steward, a data owner. You need to go do data quality. That's boring to them. That's not what humans want to do, right? And, and if you're hired to do something like like marketing, that's what you want to do. That's your passion and that's your strength. Have the machines do the lifting on the data governance side. And that's where you start to make data governance not just boring, but really efficient and, and a lot more fun. Because now you're dealing with, with cutting edge ideas and implementing this new thought into how data governance can be implemented in organizations. So can you all tell me a little bit more about what it means for the machine to help in that process and, and some practical suggestions that you all might have there? Yeah, I think that, again, you heard, you heard some highlights in there, which is to say, look, it turns out that machines are really great at just monitoring everything all the time. They don't get bored. They don't get tired. They don't need a coffee break. They love it. They love it when they can have this very <laughs> tightly defined process around it. And so what that really means in this case is that when we implement any kind of data governance, if you will, the core of that will be how do we wrap that with machine learning so that the machine learning can monitor it all the time. The class of machine learning problems that this really typically falls into is something called anomaly detection, which is we can effectively predict what range of values. And the values could be anything. It could be how many rows are in the table. It could be what values are in the table. It could be how often that table is updated or refreshed, if you will. Really, we can wrap all of that with anomaly detection. And if you're clever about it, actually, you don't end up with a problem with getting too many alerts. That's the other big concern here is that if you started wrapping all this with alerting, all of this with anomaly detection and then alert on top of that, you end up in a place where you, you frankly get alert fatigue. People right. end up spending all of their energy looking at these alerts that 99% of the time are not very particularly useful, not helpful. They're very small deviations that don't make any difference. 
one of the things that we do here is we actually say, look, it's not just at the individual metrics. So it's not just how many rows. Like sometimes there are weird anomalies. You have holidays, you have weekends. And usually the, the anomaly, anomaly detection can catch those things. We build the model around that. But things happen. COVID happens. You know, supply chain things happen. All sorts of weird things happen that are a little tricky to diagnose a little tricky to predict. And so what we do is we say, not only do we care about the, the metrics at those individual levels, we actually care about the whole table. So that is to say, like, if we look at a table and we have metrics on the columns, we have metrics on the rows, we have metrics on the values, if one of those goes off, maybe we care, maybe we don't. It depends on how far it goes off from that, right? If it goes from, you know, normally we ingest 10,000 rows every hour and we're down to zero, it's probably a problem. Seems like a problem. Probably a problem. Something's probably gone wrong <laughs> here. Um, but if it's 10,000 rows and we drop it down to 9,500, maybe that's a little bit weird. Maybe. Um, but maybe it's also okay. And so what we do is we then try and triangulate across other metrics. Well, were the values weird? Were other columns weird? Do we see other indicators that this table has actually failed in some systemic way? And when we do that, we actually reduce a huge amount of those alerts down to the ones that are truly important that you have to focus on. And so that's a big part of how we go do that. We're letting machines do what they're great at, which is monitor everything all the time, and then let the humans do what they're great at. So they get the alert and they say, well, here are the graphs, here are the metrics, here's what we saw that was different than normal. Does this seem weird to you? Does it seem like something we need to go diagnose and figure out what's going on here? Less of the busy work and more of the strategic thinking. Exactly, yeah, let humans do what they're great at, which is really that problem solving step. Yeah, you're, you're basically moving, you know, like it, when you look at data governance, you're looking at the people aspect, the, the technology aspect, the organization aspect, the process aspect. You're effectively moving some of the people responsibilities and some of the, the manual process responsibilities into the architectural te and technology underpinnings, right? You're, you're letting software and, and data engineering do its thing. And you're letting the machines and machine learning do what they're good at. And, and that is the foundation of what makes this a more modern data governance approach for us. And, uh, you know, nobody, I think, will complain out there if they've got more time to do, you know, more of what they, you know, were what hired like. to do, what they like to do, what they're exactly. good at, and they've got, you know, a handy dandy, you know, computer or model that's kind of running in the back end, kind of doing part of their job for them, right? So I think that that really helps kind of build buy-in. I mean, I personally like to drive. But if my car can start driving itself, I'm all for it. And I'm sure that same analogy applies to the marketing analysts and the financial analysts out there. At least in traffic, right, Felix? On the racetrack, you wouldn't drive it. <laughs> On the ra yeah, exactly. Exactly. Metal to the floor. Metal <laughs> to the metal, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, that. Well, next I'd love to talk about, Adrian, you've mentioned this concept of data governance network. What is it and how can it help me? Yeah, so I think this concept of your governance network, you know, I'd really think about kind of visualizing uh, all of the, the producers and consumers of data within your organization, right? So I think typically people think about, you know, the finance team, the ops team, um, and, and those are really the, the people that are seen as kind of the primary consumers of reports, of data. Um, but if you really kind of take a step back you know, everybody in your organization is a, a data producer, right? Whether it's, you know, like Vincent was saying earlier, like tables, records, et cetera, you know, it's, there's metadata on top of the data, there's metadata on top of metadata, you know, everybody is producing data in your organization and everybody really has a need to be able to consume some piece of that data as well. And a lot of times what you'll find when you go through this uh, exercise of doing this, you know, network mapping is you'll find that 
a lot of those connections and a lot of the needs for data really don't fit nicely into the silos and kind of the preset departments that you've probably architected within your firm. So that's why I think that exercise is so important because it really kind of highlights, you know, what are the up and downstream implications of all of that data and how do you kind of get data into the hands of the people who need it to be able to make kind of those, those data-driven decisions and kind of making your organization more data-driven. And you're saying it could ultimately impact an organization's design, an org design as well. It could certainly impact that. I, th I think the, the biggest key is really unlocking opportunities for how to, how to make the data more available, how to maybe make folks more aware of the data that they're creating, make mm -hmm. them more aware of, kind of like we talked about at the beginning, kind of that trust in the data of where it's coming from, how it's being created, how it's being processed. Because um, I, I think that kind of feeds into it as well. And what's, what's so cool about that really is, look, we understand today that we're not taking full advantage of data. I mean, that's the whole point. We know that we could do better. If we know that the data people in the organization, if we know, the organization knows, that the data are of high quality, you can empower a lot more people to start leveraging it than you can today. Because today you have to effectively train people. Well, what data are good? What data are not good? How do you use this one? What are you filtering by? You know, even something very simple like how many people come to your website? Well, did you filter out bots? Did you filter out your internal traffic? Did you have any test accounts, synthetic testing that you do? Did you filter those out? That becomes actually even very simple things become rather difficult. If you have a really good data governance program, especially one that's powered by machine learning, this modern data approach here, what you can start doing is not truly empowering the organization to leverage more and more of that data. And what's fascinating about that to the point of org design is actually think about the fact that if, if you were in, turn to, in charge of procurement or you're in charge of your supply chain or you're in charge of your manufacturing, it'd be a really helpful signal to be able to forecast how much demand you're going to have. Right. That's typically a very different part of the organization. And it's very difficult to leverage that in the supply chain part because you don't know what data they have. You don't know how many people came to the website for all the reasons we just talked about. If you started empowering them with this data, I think what you'd see is there are some synergies that start coming to fruition that you historically have not been able to tap into, and it might lead to a very different organizational design as well. Two, two of the areas that, that the two of you hit on that we have seen in some of our clients is data collaboration and data trust. Those are the two key areas that we try to build on with a data governance um, architecture and approach that we try to implement with, with our clients, right? Collaboration. If you're a data producer, does the data consumer understand the context behind what the data is really meant to do? Is it fit for its purpose, for your purpose? Maybe it was built for finance, but as a marketing analyst, maybe you need to use that same data set. Is it fit for your purpose? And trust. If the data has been stale for a month, is it still trustworthy? Does it still have all the values that you need? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But building that collaboration and building that trust are fundamental to making sure that people actually use your data governance and, and actually benefit from it. I don't want to spoil the paper that you all wrote too much. We can let listeners go look that up afterwards. But you did mention a concept of design thinking as it relates to data governance in that paper. And I'd love to expand on that a little bit more. I think data, the design thinking is a really strong um, component to this modern data approach. And, and the reason for it is that we're putting the data consumer front and center. Instead of putting the product or the person that pays the most or 
you know, the entire organization, you're focusing in on who's using the data. Those data products could be things like a report or a data model or even data quality metrics, anything that you defined as a product that's built from data. And your consumers are the people that you're really revolving around. You'll, you'll create personas behind that. You'll create the people that, who are the data producer, who are the platform, data platform owners. You know, like you think of security and access and, and where the data actually has to reside. And then you think of the people, you know, the analysts, the business side, the IT side that consume the data. You start to build journey maps behind it and you start to get some empathy around what's the data user's experience. They, they probably hate looking for a report. They probably don't like the idea of having to close the books and consolidating numbers and, and going through things that are painful. Well, what if you could make that easier? And so you journey that into something that's a little bit easier. And that becomes a, a, a key aspect of improving your user's experience. And that user, again, is your organization, your data consumers, and your data producers. So, so, you know, it's a different take. You usually don't have that UX journey map. You kind of think of that as a, you're buying a product, but take that same idea and apply it to your data. Think of your, your data as a product that you can buy. You have people that support your data product and your user experience becomes a lot more refreshing. Data governance now becomes a thing that you can't live without versus a thing that you dread to think about. Yeah, and I think that really goes into kind of a, a repeating, you know, kind of virtuous cycle there where, it, you know, you're, you're building buy-in with folks who are seeing, you, you know, they, they've kind of been open with you about what's not working, you know, what their kind of big problem areas are with the current kind of data model and data setup and everything. And then as they start to see some of these changes really take root with kind of this new approach to data governance, right, that just builds more champions within your organization and more people um, who are just kind of bought in on on this new way of kind of approaching this, you know, as we talked about at the top, kind of this older, you know, kind of stale, boring topic, you know, all of a sudden um, it's boring in the sense that it's not something people have to think about because it's not negatively impacting them anymore. It's it's boring because they, you know, it's kind of a thing of the past at that point. So it's it's really kind of about building that momentum and building partners within your organization. Yeah, I think... All of that was exactly right. I mean, at the end of the day, you can read HBR, you can read The Economist, you can read whatever you want. We believe that data is the most valuable asset on this world. And organizations need to tap into their own data. They need to tap into that asymmetry of information that they possess. They know more about their consumers, their ultimate end users, than anybody else in the world. How do you take advantage of that? And the answer is you have to leverage your own data. So it's not surprising then to say, well, if we wanna become data-driven, what does that look like? How do we do that? And part of that is to Felix's point, we need to quantify and, and sort of articulate who are the users of this data? What are, if this is the new product that's gonna realize the value of the most valuable asset in the world, who are those users? And we've learned a lot over time, over the past, you know, let's call it decade, about how to do that for new products. And so it's very natural for us to take that same framework, that same thinking, that design thinking, and say, who are the end users of the data product and how are they gonna leverage it and make their life easier so that we can overcome a lot of the change management that's associated with it as well as unlock the true value with it. Yeah, and, and yes, you think of like a data product that you buy, an Apple computer, 
if you have a problem with it, you can usually call what is it called, Apple Genius, and they and they'll the Genius Bar, and they'll help you. This idea of design thinking also has this component of a data product, like Vincent mentioned. What if you could have a report and you know who you can go to to help support you on that? That starts making the whole buying, quote unquote, of a data product within your organization much more of a smooth ride. And now you can you can trust this report. And if it's broken, you know who to go to. If this data set's broken, you know the person in the party to go to. So it just becomes a much uh, more smooth transaction overall. I think if you just add then, when you add in that layer of anomaly detection on top of it, not only do you have a report and you know that it's broken and who to go to, but actually the machine monitoring the report 24-7 for you will actually proactively tell you that it's broken and perhaps even be able to take some remediation directly. Right? So it's a bit like when you go to your car. Nowadays, you'll see some of the more modern car manufacturers will actually tell you, hey, you need an oil change. Do you want me to schedule that for you? Right? They'll try and take the action on your behalf so that you don't have to worry about it. In the same way, we believe that'll happen with more and more data products as we move forward. They'll proactively tell you that something is right or wrong and what to do about it. So that all sounds great. Why aren't organizations doing it? What, what blockers are they are they finding there, or why isn't this approach being implemented at organizations today? I, I think part of the problem here is that a lot of organizations still see data governance as that old school data warehouse ERP design and approach, and, and there's two kind of school of thoughts here. There are the, the clients or the organizations, I should say, organizations that try data governance and they don't implement it and it fails. And then there are the organizations that implement data governance successfully, but after a few months, they can't maintain it because it's, it's so manual that it fails. And so people just have that old mentality of data governance brings no value, it's boring, and I have no idea where to start. But with this new refresh, this redefinition of data governance, that's really why we're so excited to bring this our clients because you're changing that mindset into more of this structured, hey, let's use machines. Let's start using humans for what they're good at and machines are what they're good at. And let's center it around the data consumers of the organization instead of just what this product can do for us, you know, like a vendor product, for example. So I think that's the main reason. People are just stuck on what it used to be versus what it can be today. I think it's also really about trade-offs as a company, right? I mean, you know, if you're if you're thinking about your priorities and your budgets and your the capacity of your people and it's, you know, well, we could invest time in trying to sign a new client, we could invest time in trying to hire, you know, x number of new folks or we could invest time in uh, you know, re- rebuilding our data governance so that it's more data driven, right? Like which which of those things is going to get prioritized and is going to get more funding and more activity and more energy, right? So it's it's really kind of, I think, changing the narrative on that a little bit and, and recognizing, and I think this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, right? I think anybody would say, you know, hey, I, I don't know if I can put a dollar amount on this, but I know based on how much time my people are asking me questions about certain reports and certain dashboards and not trusting the data, there is definitely value there and there is definitely a, a monetary loss there. So it's really just yeah. about kind of reframing priorities. Yeah, I think if I if I just add on to that, you know, trying to give you like a real life example that we've had from, from one of our clients recently, really 
the challenge that you're faced and, and the thing you have to overcome is exactly what Adrian said, which is about priorities and really how, what's the value of this? Like, how do you quantify the value? And I think I, we have one client in particular who said, look, we have all this data, we're trying to leverage it, we're doing great stuff with machine learning, but nothing's really working. Nothing's actually driving any business impact. Like, what's wrong with our machine learning? Why is our model, what's wrong with our data science team is actually the question they came to me with. And when we got in there and we started talking to people, what we recognized is actually it wasn't a data science team problem per se. It was more of a data quality problem. Now, I mean, you can go to any, any piece of article you want and they'll all say the same thing, which is you know something like 80% of a data science job is really about data cleaning and, and munging through data and trying to get it structured such that it's actually useful. So that, that's not terribly surprising. But in this case, it was extra difficult because there was this belief that data were the end, not the means to the end. And the distinction here is that, look, in an organization, if you ask somebody, hey, who is responsible for data quality? And almost always the answer will come to you know something like the CIO or head of IT or somebody like that. And then to Felix's earlier point, the historical way to try and solve some of that would be, well, let's also appoint somebody from the business. Now, the challenge is as soon as you do that, to Adrian's point, you end up with somebody who has competing priorities. Either I need to finish this marketing campaign that goes out tomorrow and ensure that you know people receive it because our promo starts tomorrow, or I need to make sure that all of these are labeled correctly, all the tags are set up correctly, all of the Google Analytics are set up correctly, and run tests around that. I don't have time to do both. So which of these two am I actually going to prioritize? And then the, back to the client example here, in this case, they were prioritizing their job. Marketing was worried about marketing. And so they said, well, look, that's, that makes total sense. We want our marketing team focused on that. So head of IT, go clean up all the data, which is a bit of a fool's errand, honestly. Like, how is IT going to ensure that marketing configured a campaign such that they can use the data correctly? Like, once it's configured, once it's set up, it's very difficult for IT to do anything. They can just have make sure the pipelines are working, the plumbing is effectively there, but what you put in is the challenge in this case. And so again, by reevaluating and starting tabula rasa in some sense here, we went back and said, look, it's not really a data science problem. That's not where your, your problem currently exists. It's actually in the organizational structure and most importantly around the data quality elements in order to give you good data science models, in order to give you good dashboards that people trust, in order to give you metrics that you can make as a CEO, you can make actual decisions based on. That's great. Thanks for sharing a little bit about a, a client story and a real example as well. That's really helpful. So I've learned a few things today. Um, I've learned about how data is the new oil. I loved that phrase. I've learned that data quality is an imperative. It's the foundation for everything else we do for data governance. I've learned that we need to think about data as a product and to utilize design thinking wherever we can in our approach, and that we should employ machines and machine learning where we can to unlock greater potential of our data teams, let them focus on the things that really matter. But is there anything else that each of you all would add if you could leave you know, a, a comment friend to friend to our listeners today about one thing you wanted to leave them with on the topic of data governance, what else would you add to that? Yeah, I think my one takeaway would be kind of going back to something Felix said very early on is, is I think the reason a lot of these initiatives fail is because folks bite off more than they can chew. You know, they try to boil the ocean. They really um, you know, they, they kind of architect this long multi-year, you know, multi-team plan. Start small, you know, pick 
a report, right? Like pick some place to start where you think you can have an impact, you know, focus on getting that to a point where it's basically your proof of concept to then kind of build momentum and, and kind of start spreading this to the rest of your organization. For sure. And, and I, I love that. Taking Vincent's uh, data as, a, as the new oil, oil gets transformed, you extract it, you, you transform it, you create products from it. And so pick that one report, pick that one data set, Adrian, as you mentioned, start looking at that as a data product, start visualizing what your personas and your journey maps look for that data product and start really revolving that oil around the people that consume it and make that a really um, higher priority than, than in most cases other people would otherwise say, hey, it's not that important, but make it a priority. That way you start to look at data governance with, with the actual value that it can bring to your organization. It's almost like we all work together because I would say exactly the same thing. <laughs> um, no, but I would say in addition to that, really and truly, the biggest challenge that I think a lot of organizations face today who aren't currently data-driven is the, is the value exchange, the prioritization of why should I spend any energy on this whatsoever? And I think, you know, you can go look at, again, a myriad of sources and recognize that data really is the new oil. The ability to tap into your data to capture asymmetry information is the best way to create long-term competitive moats for your business. The only way that will ever work is if your data are of high quality. Said differently, you if you have bad data, you will very confidently, in fact, more confident than you'd be otherwise, very confidently go in the wrong direction. You will say, look, I'm going to be data-driven. It's telling me something different from my intuition. That's kind of the point. Let's go full steam ahead in this direction. And if that data are not correct, you're going to be in real trouble because you're going to ignore your intuitions. You're going to ignore the counsel of others because you're doing the right thing. You're trusting your data. Just make sure it's trustworthy before you do that. That's great. I, I think that's a great place to wrap it up today. We, we really tied a bow on it there with the last question. So thank you all so much for your time today, walking our listeners through the concept of data governance and me as well. Uh, listeners, if you are interested in more on this topic, you can check out credera.com. A quick search for data governance on our insights page will lead you to the articles our guests have written on this exact topic. You can also use the contact us page there or check out the episode notes for this podcast. Thanks so much for joining us.